This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Father in heaven, we delight in family. You've put us together in families. We delight in children, and we know that you love our children even more than we do. And we thank you for your compassion and your mercy. Please guard them and protect them with your angels. And please, Lord, bless their time together with Hannah as they learn uh, your word, as they fellowship with each other, and plant inside of them the seed of faith that will raise up to be mighty men and women of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the Gospel of Luke, according to the lectionary. Which, which we follow. We're one of those uh, traditional churches that follows a, a lectionary, which means that uh, we have to wrestle with the whole Bible. Because after three years, you end up having to read the whole thing. And today, our portion comes to the teaching of Jesus on prayer. And so we as a community wrestle with uh, the nature of prayer. Prayer is obviously part of a disciple's life, is it not? Is there anyone here who doesn't pray? Oh, we all pray. Why do we pray? There is no commandment in the Bible to pray. Read the Hebrew Bible. God gives lots of commandments. He knows how to give commandments, yes? Yes, he does. But there is no commandment, thou shalt pray. But by the time of Jesus, obviously, everyone's praying. King David prays. They write a whole book of prayers. That's what the Psalms are. Everyone's praying. People begin to measure the, the life of a disciple in how you're praying. How, how are you guys doing in your prayers? Yet, there's no actual physical commandment to pray. Prayer is obviously very important to Jesus. Because several times in the Gospels, he sits down to have a little discussion about prayer. And uh, in our Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus says twice the Lord's Prayer. Once in Matthew 6, and once here, a shorter version in Luke 11. And the context of, of Jesus talking about the Lord's Prayer is different in Matthew 6. Uh, he does not get asked by the disciples teach us how to pray, like we do in our portion today. In Matthew 6, he just begins to pray. He says, this is how you pray. Don't be hypocritical like all the pagans. Don't pray long-winded prayers. That's Matthew 6. Keep it short, sharp, to the point. Your Father in heaven already knows what you're going to pray. Uh, and so he... he that's the context for Matthew 6, although it's also linked to fasting, you might notice, also in the book of Acts. The early, early church prayed and fasted. Yep, whoops, because 2,000 years later, oh, we'll do the praying bit. Okay. Even though there's a commandment in the Bible to fast. Wow, don't do that one. Anyway, notice the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew and it's in Luke. It's not in Mark. What does that mean? Probably means that Matthew and Luke aren't borrowing from Mark as their source material. They've got other source material. So this sort of modern scholarship that sort of 
entered the world in the 1900s, uh, uh, largely from Germany, like Germany, but in terms of this scholarship, it's pretty poor, that said that Mark was, a, was, a, was the first gospel. Don't think so. Mark, uh, Luke's version is shorter. Now, I know I just read from the King James. And the King James, or the King, New King James, um, has the same version of the Lord's Prayer as it does in Matthew. That's not what you find in the early manuscripts. The early, early manuscripts of Luke have a short version. There are only five declarations as opposed to seven. This is the correct version from all early documents. Father, your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. That's the one you find in Luke. But what the King James translators came along doing is they went, "Uh uh-oh, we've got two versions and they seem to be different. Guess what I'll do? I'll make sure they're the same. Unfortunately, sometimes our translators do that. Or they appeal to later manuscripts, which have already done that for us. So what does it mean to have several versions of the prayer? Nothing other than Jesus taught his disciples over several years how to pray, sometimes a little bit quicker, sometimes a little bit longer. Plus, most likely, the language of Luke is in Aramaic. The language of Matthew, most likely, is in Hebrew. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts his prayer, Our Father in heaven, Avenu Bahashamayim, which is a very Jewish thing to say. When Jesus teaches his disciples in Luke, he says, Abba. What language is that? It's Aramaic. So, Avenu Bahashamayim is Hebrew. Abba is Aramaic, much more personal, much more close, giving you the child-father relationship that Jesus wants to teach us here in Luke. Obviously, prayer is very important because Jesus is going to teach this twice, once in uh, Matthew, once in Luke. So what is prayer? Good question. Well, prayer in Hebrew is the verb lehit palel, which I know you all knew. Lehit palel is a reflexive verb. Does anyone know what a reflexive verb is? Something you do to yourself. That's what a reflexive verb is. If I want to wear clothing in Hebrew, I'll say, Anirasi lil bosh. I want to wear begadim. I want to wear clothing. But if I want to get dressed, I actually want to put clothing on me, I change the verb from lil bosh to lehit lovesh. That's the reflexive form of verbs in Hebrew. And for whatever reason, prayer is reflexive. Something you do to yourself. But surely, you would say, Aaron, am I not praying to God? Well, yes. Yes, you are. So let's try another, another way to describe this. Does God need your prayers? No. Obviously, the the answer to that must be no. God doesn't 
need your prayers. Whether you pray to him or whether I pray to him or not, God is still God, yes? He's still sitting on the throne, yes? He's still going to do his will, yes? He's ruling and reigning over creation. So he doesn't need my prayers. He might want them. He might desire them. He might want to hear my voice, and he would like me to hear his. So he doesn't need me to pray. Who needs to pray? I need to pray. And uh, Jesus says, it's not what goes in your mouth that's important. It's what comes out your mouth that's important. And so guess who actually needs to hear themselves pray? I need to hear what I'm praying. Imagine if every one of my prayers was this. Dear Lord, please give me a Mercedes. Dear Lord, please give me a Mercedes. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, Lord, give me a Mercedes to the honor and glory of your name somehow. Imagine that. So what's really, where's my heart? Does it want to exalt the Lord? No, it wants my garage to have a Mercedes. So we actually need to hear the prayers that come out of our mouth. We need to hear whether we're praying for somebody else or not, or just about ourselves. And so in, uh, in, in, in Jewish prayer, a lot of Jewish prayer, when they pray, they pray for something very specific, yes? Then they make sure they also extend it, one, one boundary out. What do I mean by that? Let's just say I've got a sore leg. Now, I don't like sore legs. They hurt. I like to walk upright. So I pray, dear Lord, I've got a sore leg. Please heal my sore leg. Short, sharp, to the point. But guess what? There's a whole bunch of other people out there with sore legs. Don't they deserve to have legs that work too? So Jewish prayer is, dear Lord, please heal my sore leg. And everybody else that's got a sore leg, heal theirs as well. So you make it community. That's why a lot of prayers in Hebrew are not just about me, but about us, about the, the community and how the community is doing before the Lord. In Yiddish, the way you say, talk about prayer is you say, let's go doven. Have anyone heard of that expression? And we go doven three times a day. Good Yiddish word um, actually means to move your lips. So why would you have to move your lips in prayer? It means prayer is not silent. It might be quiet. It doesn't have to be loud. But it, you move your lips while doing it. It's not something that you just keep inside yourself. You let it out. You need to hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because that's important. The shoresh to the verb lehit palel is palal. Three letters. And you find this word uh, in the book of Judges, in, uh, sorry, the book of Exodus in, in, the, in chapter 21, in Shmot, where uh, it talks about Judges, the Palelim. So the verb, lehit palel, to pray, has also something about self-judgment, self-evaluation. Listen to how you're praying. Listen to how other people are praying and hear what comes out their mouth. And that will tell us a close to how, what's really inside your heart. Many people come to Israel 
and they will say, me and Jesus, we're, you know, we're tight. And uh, I don't have any problems, Aaron. You know, just me and the Lord, I'm great. Listen to his voice all the time. Go, excellent. Then you come down to have a prayer time, and their prayer is, dear Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. That's how they really feel. Okay? So listen to our prayers. The other way it's used is in Isaiah 45, where it talks about a group of people heading out towards uh, the king, and they fall down, they palalim. So there's also an, uh, an element of bowing down in self-judgment and self-evaluation and self-reflection during your prayers. So, using the more original version, uh, I'm actually going to pick up an NIV <gasps> in public. And uh, the... You, you see that Jesus, in verse 1, is praying. And he's praying in a, just in a certain place. Now, in the Bible, we are instructed to read the Bible in public and find somewhere quiet by yourself to pray. Now, isn't that interesting? Because what we do 2,000 years after Jesus is we do the opposite. We have a quiet time where we go grab our Bible and we read it quietly all by ourselves and then we get together and hold hands and pray in public. I'm not saying public prayer is bad. Jewish people had public prayer. They did. They gathered several times a day for public prayer and they did it in groups and they did their best to find any number higher than 10. Three was okay, but 10 would be better. But there was also a time when you would have just you and the Lord. But when you read the Bible, you read the Bible in groups. Why? Because it was a check and a balance. You would get a group of people together and you would read and study the Bible. And if I start saying something rubbish, it's very possible, you have the opportunity to correct me and say, actually, that's not what's in the text. You actually can't say that. There's another verse that, that counters you. When you start reading the Bible just by yourself, be careful you may come away thinking you're God. Okay? So be, be very careful. So Jesus has got himself a little place to pray. When he finishes, one of his disciples approaches him and says, Lord, teach us how to do that. We would like to learn how to pray, just like all the other rabbis te teach their masters to pray, teach their disciples to pray. And Yeshua says, yes, this is how you do it. And in Luke, he gives us the one line, Abba, that childlike our relationship that we have with God, which is so precious. Yes, he is also a king. I'm not going to take that away. That's the reason why you have that other, other passage there in Matthew to remind us that on one hand, yes, he is a father. And he is the best of fathers. The father that knows exactly what you need. So much so, he says, listen to the voice that comes out your mouth when you pray. I know your heart. You need to know it too. But he's also a king. And he is, a, he is a great king, the king above all kings, the only king. And one of our problems in the West is we decided kingship was a bad idea and got rid of them. And we think democracy is a good thing. It's a thing, but it might not necessarily be the best of things. The best form of government is to have God as your king. Is it not? Yes. And so Jewish prayer is always going to be concerned about the kingdom. But first of all, the, the, the prayer just tells us about the, the, how God's name is holy. And all Jewish prayer is concerned about the holiness of God's name. God has a name, doesn't he? 
We don't know how to pronounce it. When you, when you come to communion today, look up into the stained glass windows and you're going to see three names for God. You see, the first, the first bishop of this church was a rabbi who'd come to faith in Jesus. His name was uh, Michael Solomon Alexander, Michal Shlomo Alexander. And um, uh, his, his idea was um, to put this stained glass window in, in, these, in, these, in this church, although he f- never saw the finished product. And uh, one of the hardest things to describe in the Christian world is the Trinity. Anyone know how to describe the Trinity? Nope. Think about it for more than five minutes and it'll spin your head out. Talk about it for more than five minutes and you're entering into heresy. Okay? Very hard to talk about God this way. So God has names. He's got lots of names in the Bible. Well, he actually has a private name. Just like my name's Aaron, God has a private name. And the name up there is yud Hey vav Y-H-W-H. How do you pronounce Y-H-W-H? We have no idea. Because there's no vowels. So it could be ye we yo wo ye way. It even could be Yehoah. That's right, the Jehovah's Witnesses might be right. Apart from the fact there's no J's in Hebrew, Greek, or Latin. Small problem. We don't know how to pronounce the name of God. What do Christians call God? God. That's not his name. We do the same thing that the Jewish people do. Yud Hey Vav Hey suddenly becomes Elohim, Hashem, Hamakom, the name, without being able to pronounce it. Elohim, God, for want of a better word. On the other side is Immanuel, Elohim Itanu, God is with us. And on the other side, you'll find Ruach Elohim, the breath of God. So God is God. God is God with us, and God is the breath of God. And that's God. It's a very Hebraic way to try and describe the Trinity without desecrating the holy name. So how do you keep God's names holy? Sure, one way is not to pronounce it, but that's not the only way. In fact, that is the least of of the important ways. Everything connected to God is holy. His name is holy. His temple is holy. His people are holy. You are a holy people. His land is holy. This is the holy land. Now that God's name is holy, we are asked to keep it holy. Just like God made the Sabbath holy. First thing made holy in the Bible is time. Genesis chapter 1. This is holy. Exodus 20. You keep it holy. Be holy like me. God's name is holy. We have to keep his name holy. How do we do that? We do that through our actions and our behavior. When we do something wrong and it becomes public, we have taken the name of Jesus and rubbed it in the mud. That is why we, when, we, when we journey and meet together, we must encourage each other to maintain our behavior, encourage each other to keep God's name holy, to repent and try again. And another way to keep God's name holy is to be respectful when praying. How can you be respectful when praying? Well, here's an example of how probably not to be respectful. I wouldn't suggest praying uh, when you're sitting on your couch in your underwear, scratching your unmentionables, eating potato chips. That is probably not keeping the name of the Lord your God holy. Hmm? When, 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 when Jesus says, says, go find a quiet place, just you and the Lord, okay, and concentrate 
on him. And we are part of the process of making God's name holy. Notice in this prayer, this prayer is not in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying don't pray in the name of Jesus. What I'm going to say is saying something in the name of Jesus is not a magical formula, which you have probably heard from this pulpit many times. It's not magic. You don't ask for something and when you tack on the in the name of Jesus, suddenly God hears and you'll get it. Rather, in the name of means loyalty to. So when you pray and you finish your prayer, I am loyal to Jesus the Messiah and my actions are going to prove it. Jewish prayer is always concerned also about the kingdom of heaven. And so you find in Jewish prayer references to the kingdom and how great God's kingdom is and how much you want the kingdom to come. And, in, in, and so in Luke, of course, your kingdom come. What does it mean to, to come? When does it come? Well, it's already here. Is God a king now? Yes. So the kingdom of heaven is already here. Just as Yeshua says when he comes out the desert, the kingdom of heaven is in you. The kingdom of heaven is near you. The kingdom of heaven is here. And the kingdom of heaven is coming all at the same time. God rules and reigns now. He rules and reigns in the past. And he rules and reigns in the future. Wherever God is ruling and reigning, that is where you will find the kingdom of heaven. Jesus in Luke 4 when, they, uh, when he is, is in a town and he, they love his teaching, they love his miracles, and they try and keep him. So we've got ourselves a really cool uh, rabbi, let's keep him. He says, no, I have to go and preach the good news about the kingdom of heaven because that's why I was sent. And you'll notice that all through the Gospels, whenever Jesus teaches, he will say the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. This is what it's like to live when I'm the king. Seek first the kingdom. Make God king. Everything else just falls into place, as he says and he promises. So God is a king. He wants to rule and reign. And you and I cannot think of anything better of who should be king. There is no democracy in the kingdom. Okay? You don't tell God what to do. There's no Boston Tea Party. Okay? You don't get to throw God away. So after acknowledging his holy name and making promises that we will honor that name by keeping it holy and acknowledging his kingdom, in Matthew, you're going to tack on a, a phrase that God's will will be done. That's where you know God's kingdom is. God is ruling and reigning. If he's ruling over your life, you will do the will of the Lord. So the prayer is, your will be done. Where? On earth. Unfortunately, the next phrase, as it is in heaven, is the way that we've now remembered our prayer, and it's the way we can only say it. We don't know how to say it any other way. Unfortunately, as it is, isn't in the original. In fact, it's in no manuscript. The as it is is in italics. Anybody who's got a good King James will notice the as it is in italics. That tells us as a reader, it's not in the original. It's added in there by a, a translator. God's will is to be done on earth, something in heaven. The Greek word in all manuscripts is chi. I'll say it again for the podcasts. Chi. 
Anyone, any Greek scholars here know what Kai stands for? And, wonderful. It's used nearly 8,000 times in the Bible, and it's always translated and, except here. Think about it. May God's will be done on earth and in heaven. And we scratch our heads and we go, what, what, what? Surely God's will is being done in heaven. But that's because 2,000 years of good Protestant theology, we've turned heaven into this giant perfect place. Where did the rebellion start against God? In heaven. And then the rebellion came to earth. So heaven has been stained by sin. Revelation 12, verse 7. It says there was a war in heaven. It says Michael and his angels fight against the dragon and his angels. Guess who loses? The dragon. And he gets kicked out. If heaven is so perfect, why does God want to make a new one? I shall make a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, what was wrong with the old one? Nothing, it was perfect. Okay, so how are you improving on it? I don't know. Just felt like getting rid of the old one, making a new one. Because it also, just like this creation, is stained with sin. And the angels also rebelled. And so the Jewish prayer is very interesting. It acknowledges, it says, I want, Lord, your rule and reign to be done here. I also want your rule and reign to be done uh, in heaven. And so Jewish prayer will often say, may there be peace on earth and peace in heaven. And may that peace in heaven come here. So after these great declarations, we get a few petitions for ourselves. So just quickly, give us our daily portion. Give us our portion for today. Is everybody's portion the same? No. This isn't socialism. I'm sorry, guys. But if you've got 10 kids and I've got three kids, how big's your portion? It had better be bigger than mine. If you've got no kids and I've got three kids, my portion probably is a little bit bigger than yours. And that's okay. God is generous to give us what we need. Now, if he's generous to give to you, what should be our response? It should be generosity. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so the Jewish prayer is, Lord, give us our portion. If, if you're getting your portion and everything that you need and you have the spirit of generosity, you will share. And if we're all doing it, oh my gosh, that's going to be powerful. Bet you we're all not. I want you to have your portion. I want God to bless you and to be generous to you. Because in doing that, if you are following him and letting him rule and reign in your life, and if you're letting your actions give honor and glory to the name of God, you will be generous back. And it'll be a good thing. The church will never run out of money for its missions. We will build hospitals and schools. We will change this world. So please, Lord, bless these people with what they need. Forgive us our sins. Sounds good? 
That's what we hear about in, in the readings, Colossians, what we see about in the psalm, which was appointed for the day. God is going to forgive us our sins. Fantastic. Yet here, it's linked to a condition. Psalm didn't have a condition. Colossians didn't have a condition. On one hand, it's unconditional. Gifts are great. They are given. But on the other hand, there's a condition. It's a powerful prayer. It's a scary prayer. Forgive us our sins as we are engaged in the actions of forgiving. Us, community, a community that is forgiving, a community that is embracing the, the gift of forgiveness and sharing it with themselves. It's a very powerful one. A community that is unforgiving, a community that is holding grudges, a community that is keeping sin trapped inside of it will drive away the presence of God and he will flee our communities. And so the prayer is very powerful and it comes out of your lips. Think about that. That's why it's reflexive. Forgive us our, our sins as I'm in the actions of forgiving. So please, when you pray this prayer, please remember to be in the actions of forgiving, particularly when you stand down and kneel before a living God and a very forgiving one. Simply lead us not into temptation. So there is that acknowledgement that we need to resist evil. And, and we understand from other verses from the text that sometimes temptations and trials are good for us. What is it that produces perseverance, character, and hope? Is it the blessings from the Lord? No. First word in all your Bibles, suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. Not your big screen TV. Big screen TV might be nice, but it's not going to give you hope. Except maybe that there might be something to watch on Netflix. But that's all. Suffering produces perseverance. So on one hand, we say, please, Lord, I don't want to go through suffering. I don't want uh, a, a trial. And I acknowledge I have an enemy. You're good. You're a good king. But there's somebody else who doesn't want you as a king. And he doesn't want me to have you as, as your king. So he's going to lie to me and steal what is already yours. He's going to take my joy away. So I need to resist. And we need to resist. Lead us. Again, the prayer is us. I want you to resist the enemy. I need you to be faithful to Jesus, just like you need me to be faithful to Jesus. And if you can resist the enemy and I can try and help you, then he will flee from us, yes? Who, if the Spirit is with us, if the Lord is here, who can stand? No one. A united community is unstoppable and the gates of heaven, uh, the gates of hell will never prevail. So brothers and sisters, this is a very powerful prayer. And tonight's sermon I will focus more on the second portion of the text where Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? You can ask for lots of things, but at the end of the day, which is the best of gifts? It will be the gift of the Spirit. We'll focus on that one tonight. So brothers and sisters, prayer is reflexive. Be very careful what comes out your mouth. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Pray in groups. And have people listen to your prayers, but also find your, your, your place just to talk with God. Examine ourselves, and then with the Holy Spirit, let's put our faith into action. 
Let's be just as generous as he has been generous with us, just as forgiving as he has been forgiving with us, and let's share his rule and reign. And, brothers and sisters, we will change this world. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.